He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Tēnā koutou katoa, I'm Philippa Tolley and welcome to Insight. This week, fighting to help young offenders find a better life. The Ministry for Children, Oranga Tamariki, runs four youth justice residences around the country for a small hardcore of offenders and a handful of homes for young people who are waiting to go to court. From July next year, new legislation comes into force that means 17-year-olds can be sent to a youth facility rather than adult jail. But is Oranga Tamariki succeeding with these young people now, and how will it cope with even greater numbers? Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for this ride? You're about to take a journey and see things through my eyes. Most of you here have had a happy childhood. Once Dad left for prison, being the man in the house is where I stood. So that my brothers had someone to look up to be a man. I would do anything for my family throughout this life of span. As part of efforts to reveal the positive talents the young men and women in youth justice care possess, the Ministry for Children held a speech competition that included this young man. He can't be identified, but has chosen to be called Ronaldo. At the competition, which was held in Wellington, Ronaldo represented Korowai Manaki, the secure residence where he lives in the Auckland suburb of Wiri. In front of an audience, including officials and Oranga Tamariki's chief executive, he spoke of his early life and slide into offending. No food in the kitchen for my brothers to be fed. That's when I had to step in and steal some milk, eggs and bread. Heartbreaking moments as a child with deep, deep thoughts without a brain that I had to hide from my family within to hide the pain. Thoughts of being a doctor, police, firefighter was not on my mind. My mind frame was different. To love, I had to do crime. Ronaldo has just been released from Korowai Manaki, which, like all the residences, currently deals with young people between 14 and 16. Of the young people living there, some are on remand and some have been given a custodial sentence. I visited Ronaldo just before he went back into the community in the last fortnight to find out more about his stay in residence and whether this time anything for him had changed. He said when he first arrived earlier in the year, he had no hopes or dreams for the future. I just wanted to follow him up with my father. Like if, before all of this happened, I was like, I just wanted to get to prison. But now, well, like, it turns, like, it turns around for me. Ronaldo's situation isn't uncommon. A case leader at Korowai Manaki, Luke Wilson, says most of the young men who come into this unit arrive with a host of problems. So a lot of it might be um, the trauma background, um, gangs, alcohol and drugs. Um, A lot of these kids, they don't have any sort of pro-social peers. Their peer group is um, youth gangs. Um, They might have antisocial cognition and just be inclined to wanting to offend and all of that sort of stuff. Um, Not attending school. So there's a whole raft of different risk areas that our young people present when they come in. Staff at Korowai Manaki assess these young people for mental health problems and alcohol and drug dependency. Everyone attends school at the facility and lessons are tailored for the level the teenagers are at. Some are also helped with vocational training. But frequently there isn't time to offer much more than the basics as those on remand especially are only likely to be in for a month or two. 
The problems that are typical among those who end up here were all stacked up in Ronaldo's past as well. So I had a lot of concerns for Ronaldo um, when he first came into residence. Um, all of the risk areas that we look at, he was on the real high end of all of those risk factors. Um, such as? Such as antisocial cognition, um, family dynamics, um, AOD use, just the whole works, um, lack of stability in education, all of that sort of stuff, um, no real pro-social friends or goals. Child use and family had found his mother unfit to care for her children. He recounted in a speech when they came to collect him and his siblings how they tried to hide. As he sees me bouncing from residences to residences, leaving the disaster behind me was my evidence. Now it's time to step up and change the way I look at life, change the way I think, no more butter and no more strife. Positive role models and choices that keep me in line, the path I now take is new and I'm treating it like a golden mine. This time, he wants to stay out. But speaking at Korowai Manaki, he said it hadn't always been like this. Like, my mum was in jail. My dad went to jail. I had, like, basically no hope, I guess. I didn't... Like, I didn't feel like, like I had, like, that stable, like, someone to call home. Luke Wilson says he was scratching his head over how to work with Ronaldo, who saw jail as his only future. felt like that's where I was heading, like the way that I was going. The thing that turned me around was when I seen my little brother come and I just, like, it like snapped. I, like, snapped. I just didn't want to see him following in the same steps as me. Luke Wilson says the arrival of Ronaldo's brother at Korowai Manaki as well brought a gradual change in his attitude. Then after time, he kind of saw the opportunities that we had here at Korowai Manaki, um, and he bought into some of those opportunities that we had. And so it was about looking at what his goals were in terms of um, employment, in terms of getting into course, all of that sort of stuff, and then working around that. Tiona Yarrow has worked at this youth justice facility for about 11 years and met Ronaldo when he first came in. He found out that he loved sport, particularly basketball. And says this was a way to give him a focus and hopefully a better future. You know, you can count sport as a job. Um, you know, some people, you know, become professional athletes through it. Um, you know, and you learn a lot of values through it, um, you know, like commitment, you know, work ethic, time management, you know, over the time, you know, we felt that, you know, you know that, that stuff was coming fruitful because we knew that he was willing to learn. Um, you know, at times, you know, we, he did struggle, but, um, you know, he, he never gave up. Sione says it's up to individuals as to whether they grasp the opportunities on offer as they won't be spoon-fed. And in this case, Ronaldo reached out with both hands. But now he's in the community, the question is, can he stand on his own two feet? You know, I guess decision-making is going to be really important for that young man. We're here to, to help him, you know, and do whatever we can do to support him. You know, but at the end of the day, you know, it comes down to him and the decision he makes, you know, once he leaves residence. What's your feeling of his chances of success? I think he's going to do really well. I guess, you know, seeing him... You know, working with him, 
you know, under unit to where he is now, you know, he's, he's changed a lot. Ronaldo has finished a sports course and says he's no longer interested in hanging with the mates he got into trouble with. He has family to live with and decided to continue with study rather than find a job. Having people who care about him has made a huge difference. Yeah, I guess it's time to change. I just don't want to be locked up anymore. There are great hopes for Ronaldo this time around, but the reality is that, like many of the others in supervised residence, he's fallen off the tracks after release before. And how very difficult it is to change the course of these young people's lives was clear when listening to the updates from others at the speech competition about how speakers from last year have got on. A caseworker from Korowai Manaki, Cornelius, gave the latest news on the resident who came second last year. The young man had impressed the judges with his talent for public speaking and delivered his speech again at a court hearing over early release. The judge there was amazed at his verbal skills and suggested he could become a lawyer as he spoke so eloquently. But Cornelius went on to set out what had happened since. There was a lot of work behind the scenes to help him transition into the community and collaboration with his case leader, programs manager and social workers they were able to transition them into a course um, in trade but also trying to find opportunities where they can use their strengths in talking a lot to, you know, on a pathway to become a lawyer. Um, unfortunately, like uh, many of our young people, they're drawn back to be closer to their whānau and his whānau were heavily involved in the system. So currently at the moment... Um, is with some of his whānau member, members um, in custody awaiting the next stages in his life. Young people finding themselves in front of the youth court again or the district court when they get older, or if the charges are more serious, is all too common. The principal youth court judge, John Walker, has the latest available figures on reoffending. So these uh, statistics for 2015, which are the latest um, figures available, just over half... Uh, 50.5% of the 16-year-olds who appeared in the youth court reoffended within 12 months as 17- or 18-year-olds. And as a principal youth court judge, how does that make you feel? Well, I know from the uh, um, complexities that, uh, and the underlying issues and causes that turning anybody around uh, from a life of uh, offending is a success. So the fact that... Uh, Half of the people coming before the youth court uh, don't reoffend. Uh, that's a huge success for the system. Oranga Tamariki's Alan Borum says at any one time there will be between 140 and 170 young people who are actually serving time in the youth equivalent of a prison, and their reoffending rates are much higher. That group, um, and as I said, it's very small, uh, 90% of those would probably reoffend uh, when they come out of a youth justice residence. Um, often the severity is less and the frequency is less, so that's a success and we haven't, you know, that's worth obtaining, um, but we don't want them to reoffend at all. So we've got to do something more and different. He admits they're not succeeding with a very small group with significant and complex underlying problems. But the Children's Commissioner, Andrew Beecroft, says New Zealand is doing much better with its youth justice facilities than those across the Tasman, where violence is often rife. But he has a fundamental opposition to the whole model where young people with similarly imperfect backgrounds are held together. Grouping together boys who are often neurodevelopmentally damaged, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, autism, 
had traumatic brain injury, have communication difficulties, have come from some of our most violent and dysfunctional backgrounds who have had a lifetime of trauma. Make no mistake, these aren't just boys who have behaved badly. These are boys who have been environmentally damaged sometimes from birth. They've almost all been known to Oranga Tamariki earlier. Their care and provision for care has been at times just profoundly lacking. Put that group together and it's really hard to work effectively with them. Judge Beecroft says it accentuates all the worst behaviour. All the evidence nowadays is that community-based, secure, specialised homes with expert input of three to four boys is a way better way than going about it than a big concrete institution of 30 to 40 boys. And within that model, I mean, we there are some exciting things going on. You know, there's good education provided. There's good vocational training. But it's a tough ask, and it's probably beyond, humanly speaking, what the model can ever deliver. And even though the supervised residences are run by Oranga Tamariki, the Deputy Chief Executive of Youth Justice there, Alan Borum, agrees with the Children's Commissioner. The challenge for us with youth justice residences is, uh, despite the fact that they have higher levels of supervision than a prison would um, and have a a lot of structured activity, they still disconnect the young person uh, from their community. We've only got them in four places. uh, And they do cluster them with other young people who are similarly challenged. uh, And on top of that, they do start an institutionalisation process. If you stand in one of those residences, and we've managed to get all the graffiti out, for example, so that's a good thing, it still looks like a prison, it still feels like a prison, and it's a large institution, so there's some similarities uh, to how a prison would run. So you're studying an institutionalisation process, and we know that works against a young person being successful later in life. I'm Philippa Tolley, and you're listening to an RNZ Insight programme about the challenges facing youth prisons. Those that end up in residences are a very small group of at present 14 to 16-year-olds who've been remanded in custody, either because bail has been opposed by police or the youth court judge has decided custody is appropriate. If a young person faces serious charges such as murder or manslaughter, they're dealt with by the district court. Others at the Secure Youth Justice Facility will have been sentenced to a custodial order of three or six months. If the offending is so serious they've been sentenced and sent to an adult jail, in some cases Oranga Tamariki will agree to take the young person due to their vulnerability. In all, that generally means about 600 young people go through these secure residences each year. And the Children's Commissioner isn't happy with who's being put there. The model's got badly distorted, you know, because up to 80% of kids in a youth justice residence at detention that are on remand. That was never, ever the dream. That was never the thinking. The thinking was these were for young people who had been sentenced to a, to, a, to a sentence akin to imprisonment, but with a youth focus, with whom real work could be done. From Judge Beecroft's perspective, there's a great deal of work to move out those who should be in smaller community remand homes, not youth justice residences. But Orangatamariki's Alan Borum doesn't want to lose sight of how much better the figures are now than they were in the recent past. While that's good for the individuals themselves, it also means fewer victims and less harm to the community at the receiving end of the offending. 
we have less young people coming to the attention of the police than ever before, um, particularly by population, uh, and we're much better at keeping them out of the formal system as well. So we are dividing them out. We're using more proportionate um, alternatives rather than the formal justice system to keep them out of that system, and they are succeeding. So of the people that would have a first interaction with police, uh, nearly 80% of those never come back. So that's a positive thing, so we should divert them out if we can. Uh, however, there is a group, as I've said, um, that have a lot more challenges that we end up dealing with many, many times. The Children's Commissioner does give Oranga Tamariki, as a relatively new government agency, credit for grasping the bull by the horns and opening four new community-based remand homes since last year in Dunedin, Palmerston North and two in Rotorua. But he says over the past 20 years, the ball has been dropped. We allowed too many of those homes to be closed down. Uh, all those facilities degraded and withered on the vine, and we were left Why? with... Why? Why were they? Oh, frankly, I think that the old days of child, youth and family, bad decisions were made. No other way to put it. Despite the difficult and often enormous task of working with these young men and women, Judge Beecroft is confident the system will cope when the age change comes into force at the beginning of July next year. He describes teenage brains as still a work in progress and says extending the age range for a secure facility up to 18 years old means more time to try to establish new habits in those who've offended and been sentenced. The principal youth court judge, John Walker, says it will bring New Zealand into line with its United Nations obligations. The most important change is the inclusion of 17-year-olds in the youth justice system. That just reflects... uh, what the United Nations conventions would uh, require and uh, define a child as uh, somebody under the age of 18. Uh, So um, uh, the implication is that, sure, we will have more young people um, coming into the youth court and more young people subject to all of the diversions and alternative actions that apply to every other young person in the youth court. With 60 to 70% of those in youth justice facilities being Māori, Judge Beecroft does fear the chance under the new legislation to enhance the role iwi play in supervising their young people while on remand is not being made the most of. So this is the opportunity with the new legislation and with the legislation change to work with Māori and to empower Māori and devolve resources and power to Māori to approach this in a quite different way because we're absolutely sure about this. In the last 30 years, a government response providing the delivery service with the money hasn't changed things. And if the treaty means anything in 2018 and 2019, surely it's got to mean shared resources and devolved power. A greater role for iwi would help not only by keeping young people close to their communities, but also when it comes to finding a bed for all the youth being held in custody. Already there are times when young people, young people end up being held, being held in police, in police cells. cells. And they're being kept there for longer. Data released to Amnesty International revealed in the year to March, 165 under-18s were held in a cell for an average time of 2.6 days. That's well up on four years ago. The principal youth court judge, John Walker, thinks when the new legislation comes into effect next year, up to a 1,000 extra young people are likely to appear in youth court. Oranga Tamariki and the police will be dealing with far higher numbers of youth offenders who are given a warning or diversion and are kept away from a formal prosecution. 
But for those who do require a secure residential youth facility, he's assured sufficient planning is underway with more community remand centres being opened. I know that uh, our numbers of young people who are in police cells for any length of time has significantly reduced over the last few months. So that uh, those options uh, are obviously having an effect. Uh, There's also a drive to ensure that um, all options are explored at the time of a court appearance so that a young person doesn't unnecessarily end up in in a youth justice residence. Only a very small proportion of those that come into a youth court Uh, are remanded in custody uh, or are subject to a custodial uh, result. So I'm I'm confident that that we'll have the capacity to do that. And I hope I'm right, because otherwise we're going to be in some trouble. Um, And we certainly don't want a situation where we have young people in police cells. Oranga Tamariki's Alan Boram predicts a 40% increase in work when the new legislation comes into effect. But he too is confident everything will be ready in time. We're well advanced with the planning uh, for the 1st of July next year. We've done a lot of modelling as to uh, what the numbers will be, uh, where they might appear across the country, uh, and so where we need to build the services first. And we're obviously working really closely with police and corrections and courts around that because it all impacts on them as well. Police will see probably a 40% uplift in their work for the youth aid sections, for example. Uh, Courts will see uh, that the youth court will need to have more young people coming through. So we're working very closely uh, with them uh, and yeah we're very well positioned for the 1st of July. The Ministry of Children's immediate priority is for Auckland, Bay of Plenty and Waikato. By the beginning of July next year when the legislation kicks in they say they will have 30 extra beds across those three regions. Following that it will look at places in Christchurch, Gisborne and Taranaki. An example of youth remand care as set up in Kaikohi by Napuhi is held up by both the Ministry of Children and the Children's Commissioner as a success model that should be replicated elsewhere. The new legislation requires greater cooperation with iwi and without giving any details, Oranga Tamariki says it has seven memorandums of understanding either signed or in discussion or contractual arrangements with iwi and Māori organisations. But what about 17-year-olds that are in adult prison already or end up in adult prison between now and July next year? Oranga Tamariki's Alan Boram says they've been monitoring the numbers involved and in the past 18 months they've varied between 20 and 50 depending on how many are on remand. As we build our capability, we're going to progressively look at how we would be able to accommodate uh, the 17-year-olds that are currently in prison. We won't be able to take them all at once um, because we need to build up the capacity and the capability to take them, but our aim is is to create enough capability and capacity so that we would uh, be able to take um, all the young people that are currently uh, in corrections, but that will take some time and we're not required to do it from the 1st of July. He says they hope to be able to move all of this group to a youth justice residence in a year to 18 months. But Judge Beecroft's real worry sits with what happens once the young people leave. I think the transition from the lock-up residence to the community is something that has plagued the youth justice system for decades. We haven't done it nearly well enough. We've missed huge opportunities. For instance, when a young person's in a lock-up residence, too often the attitude is out of sight, out of mind. When he's gone for three to six months, actually that's the time when people should be straight in working with his or her family. There should be counsellors, there should be advisers, there should be 
those who can provide assistance and training and guidance for the wider family because when that young boy goes back to the very family that he sometimes girls came from they're going to be the same problems and similar thoughts are uppermost in judge walker's mind as well we show them how they can live in safe environment that they can live in a drug-free environment that they can see themselves as having potential and a place in the world which is what happens when they're in residential settings. It's really cruel to then put them straight back where they were before and um, expect them to make use of all of that learning uh, without changing that environment. So, you know, from my own point of view, uh, when we've got a young person being um, subjected to intensive interventions, uh, we should be subjecting the family and to, to interventions and providing that degree of assistance that that family uh, needs. For Judge Walker, the solution is not incremental steps that extend the age of who should appear before the youth court, but in a change of process that can stretch across the court system. I would prefer to look at all of our young emerging adults um, up to the age of 25 and, and ask the question, can we really, on the basis of what we know about brain development on what we know about the complexities and the neurodisabilities um, that uh, the offending population has, can we really treat them uh, as fully-fledged, functioning, responsible adults? Uh, I would say the answer is definitely no. Um, All the evidence tells us that 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 would be wrong to do that. So I think rather than concentrating on incremental... Uh, long-term increases in the youth court jurisdiction um, to say this is a cohort that the court system as a whole uh, needs to treat differently. From the ministry that runs what is the equivalent of youth prison, there is acceptance that things need to be done better. Alan Borum wants secure youth residences to be almost a thing of the past. It has worked okay for the group that are um, offending most seriously, just not as well, as it has worked for the group with lower levels of offending, just like it's worked better for Tauiwi or Pākehā than it has for Māori. So we know that we need to do something more for these people with really complex uh, underlying um, issues, uh, and we need to do something better for Māori. Uh, If we could be as successful for Māori as we have been for other groups, I would be able to close three of those four residences. Earlier this year, Ronaldo would have laughed at any suggestion of the situation he now finds himself in, back in the community with a qualification under his belt, all, as he told his audience in Wellington, so unexpected. My truest thoughts and my truest feelings, this is a little bit of me that is currently still healing. But to the moon and back and from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to thank you all as this is a new beginning and a new start. That programme was written and presented by me, Philippa Tolley, with technical production by Phil Benj. If you'd like to catch up on programmes you might have missed, you can head to our page at rnz.co.nz forward slash insight or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week we hear the dilemma being faced by Cambodian women who agree to be surrogates for Chinese couples but may now have to raise another person's child or be arrested. That's all from Insight for now. Lovely to have you listening, and do join us again next time. Ka kite anō.